Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Morning, guys. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Well, my name's Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors of Audacity Church, and we are glad you're here today. We're... um Uh, That song is by Rupert Holmes, Uh, and for those of you that like, uh, wasn't that song from Galaxy, what is it called, Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Actually, that song was written before I was born in the 70s. It's an oldie but a goodie, but the idea behind that song was both of them, the song goes on later, when he goes to hear and to meet this person that put this one ad about pina coladas and all that stuff, he shows up and it's his wife. (laughs) Yeah, great song. And uh, they both laugh about it. And then the third third verse, he says, I had no idea that you liked pina coladas. And he does the verse over again. Just YouTube it when you get home. It's probably on Galaxies or whatever they're called. But uh, anyway, it's an oldie but a goodie. Well, welcome to uh, I Want a New Marriage. Now, you being here isn't like bashing your spouse. It should be encouragement. Like, you know what? We all want to strengthen our marriages. And so for the next four weeks, we're just going to go deep into what it looks like, what God's plan is for our marriage. And so uh, we've done things a little bit differently. Our monitors aren't working. And, and a bunch of other fun stuff, but it, it's, it's just we're just going to roll with it anyway. So, um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to pull them up on your phone. I want you to pull up the app on your phone. I get it, right? Your fake Bible. It's okay. I'm not bitter. And just to turn to Matthew chapter 19, and we're just going to spend time trying to look at what Jesus wants us to hear today. And so, <clears throat> the verses were read, and Jesus shows us a secret that is a, a mystery that it's really hard to understand. And he says this, that two will become one. And so today we're going to talk about the secret of oneness. We're going to talk about the secret of marriage. Now, I feel that we've probably suckered some of you into being here. Like there's going to be some great profound secret. And I want you to know that I'm going to start with the secret. There's only one. And that's where we're going to spend a little bit of our time today. But there really is only one. Now, whether you're single or whether you're married, I really believe you can learn something from today. And I want to set a very clear expectation. If you join us for the next few weeks, and a guest of Audacity, we always ask you to at least try us a few weeks. Um, If you don't like me, you'll like somebody else, and that's why you come back. If you don't like our worship, you'll like something else about the experience, and that's why you'll come back. If you, you, know, you don't like the greeters, I mean, there'll be a reason. Just come a few times. Just come. Let us. It's actually like we just keep giving you Kool-Aid. Those of you are like, oh, I thought that was coffee. No, there is something in the Kool-Aid. I want to set a really clear expectation as you come back for the next few weeks. The view in which we are going to be looking at marriage is through the lens of Scripture, unapologetically. We're going to share with you in four weeks 
what it looks like for a biblical marriage. So don't think that we're going to pull something else. We're not. We're going to, you know, kind of bring in some different things. No. It, simply put, we are going to show you the secret of marriage, the ingredients of marriage, how to have the best sex ever, and we're going to talk about how is there hope for my marriage? Can my marriage be restored? Can it be revived? And we're going to do all of that through the biblical worldview. So whenever I share with you about marriage, whenever I share with you about the expectations of marriage, I'm just pulling them right from Scripture. And so I want to set that expectation because I don't want you to think uh, uh, to be offended by something that I say. I tell the folks at Audacity, I'm just a postman. I'm just delivering your mail. We at this church, we preach truth in grace, and then we allow the Holy Spirit to do his job. And he's the one that's going to mess with your stuff, not me. So send me an email later, but somebody else reads them anyway. It's not a big deal. Um, Sorry. Those you didn't know, you're like, oh, that's why it takes you weeks to get back with me, kind of, sometimes. I'm going to give you the state of our marriage. I, I really, what, what does marriage look like in the United States? So we're just going to start from that platform, and then we're going to build around the idea. The marriage rate, um, or divorce rate, uh, continues to decline in the United States, although it is twice as high as it was in 1960, Right? It's twice as high now as it is in 1960, but it has declined since reaching its peak in 1980. Some of you are like, well, I was born after then. What does that have to do with me? Right. We all still love you. In 1980, it hits its peak. The divorce rate does. And since then, it has really maintained. It's not declined much. What does that mean? It means half of all marriages end in divorce. So that means as I'm looking out here today, half of us have either experienced divorce firsthand or it's impacted our family as well. 24%, that's one in every four, 24% of children before the age of 12 will experience divorce in the United States. Divorced children need grace. Those of you that experienced it, those of you who walked through it, realize that you, they need a, 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 certain, a, a certain level of measure of grace. And I think there's a body of Christ. We have to make sure that we're stepping in and maybe filling those roles when we see those gaps and trying to do our part in some of those broken relationships and broken homes. Newsflash, not that divorce is already on the rise, not that divorce is already as challenging as it may be. The most common trend in the United States that keeps the divorce rate even lower is what's called cohabitating. Right? Let me explain what this is. This is being living together, playing house before you're married. You're like, well, he loves me more than a piece of paper. I'm going to talk to you about covenant here in a minute. This is what I will tell you. 46% increase in potentially getting divorced if you ever get married. You're basically inviting worse odds. It's like going and playing poker. Those of you who don't gamble, once again, don't send me an email. It's like playing poker and having the worst hand possible. You're just like, you know what? I'm going to bet my life. I'm going to bet my finances. I'm going to bet my future. I'm going to push all these chips in. And knowing that because I choose to do it the non-biblical way, I'm going to do it my way, what we do is we increase the chance, 46% of getting divorced. Those of you here, let me just continue to be an encourager today. Welcome to Audacity Church. 
For those of you that have been divorced and now are remarried, once again, we know we're talking about half of you. Half of you are bringing something into your marriage that you might not have resolved the first round. It might have been her. It might have been him. I don't want to say it isn't. But you need to make sure that you are practicing through a biblical worldview, a biblical marriage, because what you've done is going into your second marriage, you've doubled down again on chance of getting divorced. So if you're divorced, living with your boyfriend before you get married, you might as well move back in with your parents. I mean, that's really, and just get the pain over with now, statistically. None of y'all are liking this, which is fine. Because this only, I want to create this platform to speak from. And you got, everybody around here at Audacity knows I speak grace in truth and love, right? Speak truth in grace and love. I say this because I love you as your pastor. That's why I'm sharing this with you. The Holy Spirit's doing something to you. I'm a postman. Let him mess with your mail. The reason I'm telling you this is because the only secret to marriage, I'm going to give you three today because I like to do multiples, right? But this one is the only one that matters. The other two are icing on the cake. The other two you should just, whenever you're leaving today, shake my hand, slip me 100 and sell me thank you. Go buy, or 50 is fine. We can usually eat out somewhere for 50 bucks and say thank you for points two and three. I appreciate it because this is the only one that matters. Number one is the only one that matters. Two and three are important. Your city groups this week as they gather and meet today, this week they're going to focus on number three. But number one is the only one that matters. Did you know that the marriage rate of people that follow Jesus, Protestant and Catholic, which we don't really need to talk about what and why that is, okay? Do you know when God or Christ Jesus is at the center of marriage, couples that pray together attend church regularly, okay, and read the Bible together, or at least are talking about the Bible together, dramatically increase their rate of never getting divorced. They, they just don't get divorced at a higher rate. People say, well, the church has the same divorce rate as the world. No, it doesn't. Just because somebody says that they know Jesus doesn't mean that their lives is devoted to him. Doesn't mean that their marriage is devoted to him. As I carry on. The only secret to a successful marriage that I have personally found after being sick, married 16 years to my best friend. Some of you are like, man, he doesn't look old enough to be married 16 years. You're right. We were 10. And um, people that lie from the pulpit like look for lightning. Uh, I'm not quite 26. <clears throat> a little bit younger. And um, the only secret or the best secret that I have found is what we're going to call today Christ at the center. Your marriage will never be what it needs to be unless Christ is at the center. Your marriage will never be how God intended for your marriage to be until you live your life with Jesus at the center of every decision, whether that's your finances, your talents, or your, your future, or your, um, with everything in your being, your spiritual gifts, everything. When Christ is at the center, that's the only secret. Some of you might be saying, well, listen, I'm the only person on the, in the relationship where I even try to put Christ in the center. My spouse even fights the idea. Then get on your knees and pray harder. Matter of fact, you need to let our prayer team know so that we can be saturating you in prayer. Because Christ has to be at the center of your marriage. That's the secret. You can leave now if you don't like the sound of my voice. That's all you need to know. If Christ is not at the center, what we do is Jesus' words say, two become one. And what we do a lot of times is we get in relationships. And guys, let me just tell you, 
Ashley and I weren't virgins when we got married, okay? We started dating, and we, we, uh, she didn't want to date me for a while. There's a lot of reasons why. One of them was I might have been a, a, a player slash dog slash jerk. I mean, there's, it's, 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 it is what it is. I was 20 years old. And we decided we were going to do things differently. We decided, you know what, we've kind of played around, we've goofed off, and, um, you know, we just don't want to bring anything else into our marriage. And for 90 days, we didn't do anything except for hold hands and kiss. And she was 19 and I was 20. And just so you know, the hormones that go through your body at that age um, are never-ending. After 90 days, it was, it was a little over 90 days, I knew I wanted to marry, and so I asked her to marry me. And she said yes, because 19-year-olds make poor decisions. And uh, then we eloped to Las Vegas less than two months later. Yes, hashtag killing it. And um, we've been married 16 years. We decided to have sex after we were engaged. And I want you to know it was one of the poorest decisions that we could have ever made. Because we decided to let that become the idol that we chose to worship, which, which, which was each other. I mean, I am hot. I get it. I get it all the time. And she's smoking hot. And we made a very, very poor decision. And it impacted our marriage. We didn't realize what it was doing until about four years later. One decision. And that's just to say... We're Christians, and we're going to live this way, but God, our way is more convenient for us, or our way, we need to live our way right now and not yours. We know what the Bible says. We get it, but you know what? I just want to be a little selfish with my life. If Christ is not at the center of your marriage, not at the center of your marriage, your marriage will never be what God intended it to be. Husbands, (laughs) it's the wrong place to hang. Ask the dudes. You have a responsibility to be the loving shepherd of your home. That means you're the one that initiates prayer time. That means you're the one that initiates conversations with your wife about what she's reading in Scripture. That means you're the one that speaks Scripture over your children. That means you're the one that teaches the Bible to your children. It is your responsibility. I shepherd this church with a group of men. Your responsibility is to shepherd your home when you leave here. That'll preach all day, and that's good preaching. I know we're a young church, right? And y'all don't know when I'm doing good and when to tell me that I'm doing good, right? So we're going to tell you again. Men, you need to lead your homes. You have to lead your homes. The church is not the only place that your lives can be spiritually enabled or fed. It cannot be. Christ has to be at the center, and this is why. Secret number two is unrealistic expectations. Before you get married, you have to identify what unrealistic expectations are. You're like, Ronnie, well, help me understand that a little bit. I would love to. When a woman is seeking, or let me reverse this. When a man is seeking out a woman, the only thing he looks at is sexual attraction and looks. That's it. (laughs) We are shallow. Women, I heard you laugh. Would you like to know what number one and number two is for you? Guess what? I'm going to tell you. Thanks for asking. Number one is how tall he is. I'm sorry, short dudes. We love you. But that's what they look at. Are you kidding me? Guess what number two is? Number two is just as disgusting and as looks and just as shallow. Number two, guess what it is? <laughs> Income potential. <laughs> Uh, luckily, I'm six one. <laughs> I had one of them going for me. I was just like, "Poor preacher, cool, okay." And um, that's it. 
both of us are, but God wired us this way. It's why when we talk about sex later on in this series, God wired men that way. He wired women intentionally. But what happens is we start our marriages. We start these relationships. We seek out a spouse when we're dating and when we're courting, and we have unrealistic expectations. I think some unrealistic expectations can be very bad. Let me share with you what those are. Unrealistic expectations is when you think that that man or that woman is going to Jerry Maguire you. You complete me. No, he doesn't. And he never will. And guess what? Her poop stinks. (laughs) And she doesn't load the dishwasher the way the Holy Spirit intended. And to make matters worse, for whatever reason, she is uncomfortable taking the roll of toilet paper and facing it the wrong way. Here's what we do. We try to make her, you try to make him your functional savior. See, this happens in high school. Oh, if I could just date the cheerleader, then everybody would think I was popular. And then you take that same attitude into your married life. It's her that completes me. And you place a God expectation on your spouse. And guess what? They're going to let you down. And you are defined by your spouse. And you're defined by the relationship. We all know who she is. And if you don't, it's probably you. But she was always defined by the relationship that she was in. She is so-and-so's girlfriend. And we take that same mentality, and guys, let me just say, that's idolatry. When you place anything other than Christ at the center, and you allow that to be your functional savior, um, there's a phrase that was coined about 10 years ago, it's called moral therapeutic deism, and it's a false view of Christianity. We take that mentality into our relationships with our spouses, and we place unrealistic expectations on them. You think it's them that's going to complete you. You think it's them that's going to make you whole. And without Christ, you will always be let down. Always. God, you are, you, God does not intend for you to experience the pain that you bring upon yourself by making that person something that they will never be able to become. You place upon them something that they can never do. What are some good unrealistic expectations? Good question, Noah. I'm going to keep talking. Here's what you need to be looking at. You need to be looking for someone with deep character. If he takes you out to eat and he tips... One, he can't afford to eat out. And two, he should have taken you somewhere he couldn't tip. Watch his character. Even when you're courting, if he doesn't open the door for you and he doesn't open the door for the old lady that's in front of you, guess what? He will always, always, always be thinking about himself. I'm going to change him. No. No. You're not. Here's what happens. It's like two fine jewels that are placed in a tumbler. Both of them are rough and ugly. And what happens is you throw them into the tumbler, and the tumbler starts moving around, and those pieces rub off in each other, and they break each other, and they they make each other shine. Yes, he is going to compliment you. Yes, he should make you shine. But if you try to think that you're going to be able to change him, you're not. The first person, whether it's you or him, that has to start with change is you. If it's something about him needs to change, guess what? Something about you needs to change. If something about her needs to change, guess what? There's something in you that needs to change. The other thing you need to be looking for, and if you don't have this in your spouse and your host, 
And that's a best friend. Man, there's some cats that I do life with and I'm really close to. And when something happens and something good happens, I always call them. But I make sure I call Ashley first. You'll never believe what happened today. You'll never believe the call I got. You'll never believe what God is doing. And it's because she's my best friend. You should have a good, unrealistic expectation of that person becoming your best friend. Do you know that one of the things that we think is we think that somehow our marriage is going to mask our flaws. All it does is magnify them. You bring the exact same flaws that you have in other relationships to your marriage relationship. So if you are a horrible friend and you always got to be the boss and, you know, you're, you just don't like people doing things another way. Is there anybody like that besides me? No? Okay. We're going to bring that into the marriage relationship. The secret to marriage is the, to be able to live with your spouse in a season when you're not getting any love in return. That's a defining or identifying an unrealistic expectation. There's going to be seasons where she is distracted or maybe she is broken or maybe she is going through a tough time and she's not going to be able to reciprocate the love that you need. And that's why we take marriage vows where we love anyway. So that's why the covenant and the piece of paper is so important. Whatever flaws that you have now, you're going to bring into your marriage relationship. It's, it just happens. And then they're going to be magnified. And then when he is going through something, when he is overwhelmed by a situation, when he is overwhelmed by whatever it might be, and he's not reliving, he's not loving you and reciprocating that love in a way that you need, that's when you have to know that you have to dig down deep and stay strong. It's placing or identifying an unrealistic expectation. It's not all fair. But see, every one of us come into a marriage with selfish motives. Every one of us. We, we, and, and so we come as selfish beings. It's always been about me. It has been. It was all about whether, you know, what job I got. It was all about whether I was starting on varsity. It was all about whether I was making good grades. Some of you cared about that. I never did. It was always, I was just trying to use that as an example, uh, it was always about me, what my career was going to be, what I'm going to be. And then we go in and we too become one and we try to live with another person when it has to become about them. The rest of your life is always about them. It's about how I can love them unconditionally, how I can serve them faithfully, how I can, and what we are always combating is selfishness. Selfishness. We will always be combating selfishness. Couples that are active in their faith are much less likely to get divorced. And I already said that. If you're Catholic, welcome. Sorry we didn't do Mass today. But you are 31% less likely, 31% less likely to get a divorce if you are a practicing Catholic. If you're a Protestant, which is kind of what we are here, we're Baptocostal, right? Um, uh, we are 35% less likely to get divorced. 35% less likely. This was staggered me, and I didn't know how I was going to communicate it. So um, we don't have clocks up here. You guys could be here till the movie starts. Um, do you know if you're a practicing Jew, do you know that you're 
less likely to get divorced than a Protestant or Baptocostal. 60% for those of you trying to do the quick math in your head. Why is that? It's because those people, they do have favor from God. Nate told us a great story a few minutes ago, but, but it also, they understand the power of a covenant. They understand the power of walking faithfully in a covenant agreement because they live their lives as though they are in a covenant agreement with God. And so they take that seriously. And so when it comes to being in a covenant agreement with another person, they take that just as seriously. That's why that piece of paper matters. That's why God intended for us to be married. It is whenever we stand before someone that represents God and we commit our lives to each other and to him with God and then with other people. It's more than just ceremonial. And I've been racking my brains, and I'm going to do a little side preaching here. I really believe we as the church have really done a disservice to something that Paul tried to communicate, and we love to say this. I mean, just read, read, listen to pastors long enough, and they'll say something along the lines of this. They're quoting Paul. They'll say, well, we have been freed from the law. Yes, hallelujah. I believe we have been freed from the requirements of the law. That means Jesus settled our account. That means Jesus said, listen, all of this, it doesn't matter if you do all of these things. Jesus is anti-religious as anybody that ever walked the face of the earth, probably the most anti-religious person ever. And he says, I have finished it. The work is complete. If you accept me as Savior, if you allow me to step out of heaven, step into your heart, completely change your life, if you allow me to do that, then you, you, then you are been freed. Well, if we're not careful, what we do is we say, well, we don't have to do all of those things. Listen, pork is not good for you, but I will put bacon on ice cream. I just will. But God is protecting us. He said, hey, guess what? Those things eat trash, so be careful when you put it in your body. Then God says, hey, I know the cost of adultery. I know what it does to the adulterer. I know what it does to the family. Don't do it. I know what the cost is if if you steal. Don't do it. I know the cost of you thinking that if you just click that picture once and then all of a sudden you can't get enough of porn. And God's saying, I know what adultery does. Stop. He's not telling that because he's a joy killer. He's telling us what not to do because he's a loving father. If you're a parent, I hope you understand somewhat of the emotion it means to love and protect your family. The top three reasons people get divorced in the United States is communication, sex, and money. Those are the three. In the last five years, Facebook has shown its, its name Facebook has shown up in more divorce agreements than in anything else. It's on a rapid rise. Facebook. Social media. If you are not in a city group, there's outside, there's some tables. There's five of them. Sunday night, Sunday night. And so what you're like, what's Super Bowl, right? So they're just, I think one of them is canceled tonight, um, and the other one is having a Super Bowl party. And then we have them on Monday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. And in the city groups, you're going to take this last part, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, much deeper. See, I don't believe that people get divorced over sex or money. I believe it's communication. I believe every reason, we say the top three, if you're listening and when you do the research and you get home, 
But I believe there really is only one, and it's communication. When it comes to a husband or maybe a wife that's not being sexually fulfilled, it comes down to communication. When the finances go awry and we're not living the way that we thought we would or maybe we have unmet expectations that we thought we brought into this marriage and we don't understand what's going on, it's communication. And so you're going to be taking a communication test this week. And the communication test allows you to see how you should be communicating with your spouse or with other people if you're unmarried or maybe your future spouse and then how it's best to be communicated to you. But basically, there's four different types of communicators. There are doers, influencers, thinkers, and connectors. And there, there, there's four of us. And we're all, we, we, we all communicate differently. We all need information given to us differently. Um, some of the traits of a doer are, is they're results-oriented. They're independent. They're ambitious. And they prefer less restriction. Some of the influencers put a high priority on close relationship. They want to be harmonized and they, they want to be patient and they really want to be heard. Thinkers, they, um, they're innovative, but at the same time, they, they really like their opinion to be asked. And then connectors, they're always wanting the data first. Let me explain how this works just in our church. And I'll just share with you among our elder team. I, am already, I already have goals for 2020 and 2025. <laughs> the church has heard them. Right? We cast vision last Sunday. We know where we're going. You know, today starts our second campus in the prior Claremore area. Tonight, come on, seriously. So tonight, in prior, they're having a Super Bowl party that kicking off a small group so we can start another church. And not so my face can be in another church. We raise up leaders to lead these campuses. That's what we do. They're just accountable to the eldership of Audacity. And that we're going to, listen, we're starting 25 churches, and I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. Well, then another guy on the elder team, he's boring, and um, uh, he's a thinker. Is he in here? I don't think he's in here. Okay, he's not in here, so I can talk bad about him. He's listening right now on the podcast. Hello. You know who you are. And he wants to know, Ronnie, I believe God's called us to do this. How do we get from A to Z? And I'm like, I don't know, it's the alphabet. Let's just say it fast. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, O, J. And he goes, no, 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 we have to have A and then B. Well, that's the same way in our married life. There's a lot of times I'm like, hey, let's just do this. And Ashley's like, yeah, I love you, how? I'm like, I don't know, we'll just figure it out on the way. For those of you who know that's my favorite words to her is figure it out. She's like, what are we going to do? I don't know. We're going to figure it out. She's like, but what? We're going to figure it out. And that's because I'm a doer. And it also stinks whenever she's hurt because I come alongside and she wants to tell me. And I'm like, no, we don't need to talk about it. Let's just, we're, it's fixed, right? Right now, do we need to really talk about it? It's just, we fixed it by mentioning it. It's in the stratosphere. So because it's been mentioned, it's better, Right? <laughs> It doesn't work. You don't have that problem at your home. But I'm a doer, and I'm like, okay, let's just fix it. And she goes, I don't. I just need you to listen to me. And I'm like, I did. And she goes, well, I wasn't done. And I'm like, we need to shorten this thing up. Let's just move on. And then there's there's one there's one type A person in the house. But then the other side of that coin is there's a lot of times she just supports me in doing. She's like, hey, let's plan a church. You want to cash in the 401k? Okay, let's do it. We prayed about it for two weeks and fasted, but um, we, she's always supported my doing. And so you have to listen. You have to, have to be in the city groups. City groups is the only place. We're not going to put it out online. 
you have to be at one. And you're like, well, one of them doesn't meet at a time that's convenient for me. Awesome. Let's start another one. Tell me when it's convenient. I'll just let you kick it off this week. You had to go through training, so you'll have to have coffee with me for about an hour, but it should be fine. Your marriage will never grow in isolation. You need to find another marriage to share life with. And I'm going to close here uh, now. I'm going to close. How do we, how do we together, how do we communicate effectively? You're like, well, you said it's all going to be in the city groups. It is. But I'm going to give you some cheat notes for you to meditate on when you get home today. Colossians 4, chapter 6 says this, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how good you how so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech be gracious. In some of your marriages, you just you just need to communicate more graciously. You need to do it with a, 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 you know salt was was used to to bring out the flavor, but it was also used to protect and make last longer. And so the challenge is to season our conversations with grace and with understanding and knowing that it's, there's endurance involved when we're communicating. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, and some of you and me should probably have this tattooed on our foreheads. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fit for the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Guess what? When you're fighting this week, and we don't call them fights, we call them intense moments of fellowship. And um, as we're having an intense moment of fellowship, one of the worst things that you can do is speak corrupt talk. Well, Pastor, what is corrupt talk? When you keep bringing up the same thing that happened six years ago, he, he remembers. He does. And every time you bring that up, that, that, that's corrupt talk. Every time you call her a name and you tear her down with your words, that's corrupt talk. Every time you decide instead of seeing it from her point of view and you try to force her to see it from yours by you just won't you just keep talking, that's corrupt talk. See, the challenges of us becoming two become one is over 16 years, I've become a lot more like Ashley. And Ashley's become a lot more like me. She's got a personality now where she's kind of a driver. Uh, she still doesn't use a calendar, which whatever. I mean, and, um, but and she's, she believes in living for the moment. She lives life as though she's not promised tomorrow. And I'm like, but we need to have a five or ten year plan. Right? And so we, I have become more like her where I live in the moment more. And she's become a little bit more like me where she likes to plan things out. Then that's what happens as we, uh, we two become one. It is impossible to do when you're destroying each other with your words. Proverbs 15 says this, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Just leave that up there for a minute. A harsh word, a harsh, a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Are you intentionally stirring up anger in your home just by the vocabulary you choose to use? See, communication is a secret. It really is to a successful marriage. 
You're going to have to learn to communicate. You're going to have to learn to identify the way that your spouse needs to be communicated to. It's really important. It's also important that in your married life to, to identify unrealistic expectations. It really is important. Making sure that we see those unmet expectations. Make sure that we see how we've, we've come into this relationship and we're already making them someone that they can never become to us. And the most important part, the most important thing you can do is having a Christ-centered marriage where Jesus is at the center of it all and you realize that without him, you will never be complete. No matter how much you love the other person, you can never give them the love, the genuine love that you can only give to that other person by being submitted to Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com. 